All right, everyone. Welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Uh, tonight, uh, we are um, welcoming a guest back, uh, Carl Albert, who uh, I spoke to last week, and um, <clears throat> we uh, discussed the uh, ontology of the uh, the Godhead, uh, the Christian God, and uh, we got into at the end of the discussion um, uh, some of the we, we started to get into the deity of the Holy Spirit, and that's uh, where Carl and I have a big difference. And so, um, Carl and I have been messaging back and forth, and so we decided to continue the discussion tonight and continue discussing on these topics, which are uh, of, of extreme importance um, and are fundamental to our understanding of God. And, uh, and why these things are important is because uh, of the danger of idolatry. Um, it's important that we, we truly worship uh, the God of the Bible and that we understand who he is uh, and that we do not describe him in ways that he is not. Uh, and that is why we need to be so careful um, in these uh, discussions, because um, we're dealing with uh, reverent things. We're dealing with things of eternal implication and importance. So I've invited Carl back uh, to this discussion. Uh, Carl, I've posted the link in the chat there. So if you want to um, invite uh, some additional people to join in um, on uh, in, in, in viewing it. Um, I, at this point, uh, we're just going to leave the discussion between Carl and myself, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, earlier today, I did post a uh, episode. Uh, this would be episode uh, 47 of the podcast. I uh, published episode 46 um, of the podcast. Um, uh, we went into creation science again. Um, those of you not familiar with this particular broadcast, you can find us at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can also reach out to me um, at jason at logicalbelief.org if you have any questions, um, any comments, any words of encouragement. Uh, just go ahead and send those messages to jason at logicalbelief.org. Um, or if you <laughs> take difference with the uh, the Christian um, view uh, when it comes to salvation, God, uh, let me know. And um, depending, maybe we can uh, have a dialogue on the air. So just let me know. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, make sure Albert can get into uh, get into the broadcast here. Albert, can you? Uh, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? See me? Yep, I can see you. Uh, for some reason, it doesn't appear that the camera, let me, let me validate here, but it does not appear that it is switching. It's just sticking with me, and it's not uh, not switching It may be you. going in on a video. Let me uh, go look on YouTube and see. Yeah, check the stream and see if it's just, if it's just me or if uh, you're showing up on the broadcast. I believe it did that the last time, but I got through, so I'm checking now. Okay, let's check that out. I don't want to have any dead air here, so um, I'll go ahead and... Okay. Um, I'm not seeing you on it, so let me go ahead and... Let me. There is a setting here. Um, hide other. Let me adjust that setting. 
Okay, maybe it's. Oh wait, no, hide participants. No, don't do that. Maybe you will have to um, just do it manually. Whenever you get through talking, after you make a statement back and forth, just switch it over to my avatar. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do that because it doesn't look like it's doing it automatically. I've had this happen before. Well, I'm seeing myself on your screen, so it's switching over when I uh, talk on yeah, the live. I think that's because I did it manually, though. Um, but, uh, okay, so... Uh, why don't we do this? Uh, first, uh, I'll let you go ahead uh, briefly. Uh, Carl, go ahead and uh, reiterate. Uh, in the last broadcast, you, you went ahead and explained uh, your position on who the Holy Spirit is. Um, so I'll give you a few moments to just go ahead and kind of lay out your position. And then um, uh, so I'll, I'll let you uh, go ahead and uh, speak now. Go ahead. Okay. Well, my position is always, you know, Bible first. I deal with the KJV 66. And in that, we read in Hebrews 1 and 7. <sighs> Make sure I got my Bible with me just in case I have to flip to it. Um, and of the angels, he said, which make it his angels' spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. In this statement, people, we find out that the angels are spirits. All the angels that stayed in heaven and one kicked out and lost their place in heaven are holy angels, right? Holy spirits, all of them, plural, more than one. But when Jesus speak about the Holy Spirit, he speak about one individual spirit, right? So that's the first premise I want to lay down. Now, when you go to Exodus 3, you see a ministering spirit, right? A holy ministering spirit in the bush speaking as if it's God in the sense of communicating exactly what the Lord God of Israel was saying at the time. The I am that I am and everything came from God, but it was a minister, it was ministered unto Moses or given unto Moses through the angel as God seen things. He made the statement. The angel spoke it. Moses mistake this angel as God, as Jacob did when he wrestled with the angel. He said he was wrestling with God, so on and so forth. All they knew that they was dealing with an angelical entity. Right. So they proclaim these entities to be God. I believe this is the situation that we have with. You, you know, the Nicene Castle and everything else when they came up with these trinities and doctrines and things of that nature. So the topic is, you know, the deity of the Holy Spirit. The term deity is not found in the Bible, so we're going to have to go through extensive conversation about what a deity is and how that leads up to, you know, the angel or the Holy Spirit, the holy angel, from my perspective, being deified or becoming a part of the being, one being, God, you know, because as uh, Jason, you know, prescribes to, it's uh, one being known as God, but three persons in that Godhead or in the Elohim as uh, those terms are most definitely used to describe. 
So once again, um, we just, me, myself, I'm just going to go through, deal with the scriptures and show the exegesis of why the scriptures lay out that the Holy Spirit is a holy angel, one particular angel, as I denoted and pointed, pointed out before, that, you know, the angel Gabriel is the one that's pretty much the messenger angel within the text. He went to, you know, Daniel and gave him revelation of all this entire prophecy, which coincided in like a bookend to revelation where we know an angel for sure was, you know, the third on what I call the protocol to give the message to John, the revelator, which bear a record of the, you know, the message that he received in heaven, you know, all that he's seen and heard in heaven. Most definitely the message that Jesus gave unto him, which he received from the father. So the father in this case would be just that the father. Jesus would be known as the word and the angel will be known as the Holy Spirit that brought the word. Holy angel, once again, singular, not plural. So that's what first John five and seven um, perpetuates from a biblical literary perspective. And that's what perspective I hold. Seeing that uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 9 and 10 said, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yeah, he said in order and put these things in order, you know, basically writing, rightly dividing the word of truth is what it's uh, talking about, right? But it said, because the preacher was wise, he put these things in order. And he said, the preacher sought out to find acceptable words, verse 10, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. So that's how I deal with the text, people. That which is written, that's that which is upright, even words of truth. And I, you know, advocate that which is written. So I'm not going to go to too many different sources outside of the text itself. That's a challenge for me, I guess. But I guess that's also a challenge for Jason to show out of the text, you know, what he's proclaiming out of the text or unless he's using some other source. Alrighty. Well, thank you, uh, Carl, for that. Um, I want to jump in here really quick and, um, this is a, this is a big topic, but uh, I'm going to make an attempt to cover this quickly in a few minutes here. But, uh, I think that the deity of the Holy Spirit um, is very clear within Scripture. Um, it is unambiguous. Um, we see, uh, for example, that uh, that uh, the attributes of God, uh, there is a big difference between the category of creator and cr- uh, created being. Uh, there is a major difference between these two categories. Uh, the creator is eternal. His creation is not. Uh, the creator is omniscient, uh, knows all things. Uh, the, no creature is omniscient. Uh, the creator is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Uh, for example, in Acts 17, Paul says in him, we move and have our being speaking of God. Uh, this is an attribute that belongs to God alone and does not belong to any created being. Um, the creator is omnipotent, all powerful, and no creature is omnipotent. We see that. Um, uh, so these are the attributes of God. Uh, we see in Genesis 2, the second verse in the Bible, it says uh, that 
the was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see the Holy Spirit already in in verse two of. Uh, so we see him here as creator in Genesis chapter one, verse two. We already see shadows of the thrice holy God uh, and the Trinity of in the Old Testament. Uh, for example, in Isaiah six three uh, portions of the Old Testament and in Re- Revelation four eight, it refers to um, God as being referred to before the throne as thrice holy. Uh, we see the term holy used, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And we see in Revelation 4, 8, once again, the angels before the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see this referred to three times. We see the use of holy three times. Um, we also see in Isaiah forty-eight sixteen, we see God speaking here in this text. And uh, God is speaking here, and he says, um, draw near to me. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God, so this is Jesus speaking, the second person of the Trinity speaking, draw near to me, hear this, from the beginning I have not spoken in secret, from the time it came to be, I have been there. Now the Lord God has sent me. So we see God speaking, and then says the Lord God has sent him, and his spirit. So we see in the Old Testament, three persons here in Isaiah forty-eight sixteen, we see uh, Jesus himself, the second person speaking about how the Father has sent him and his spirit. So we see the three right there in um, that passage. In Psalm chapter 2, if we look at that passage clearly, and I won't uh, carefully, I, I won't go over all that, but we can see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking to one another and um, talking about why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain. And then um, the son speaks, I will tell you the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Uh, There we see the father uh, speaking and the son speaking about what the father has said to him. Um, We see that the spirit is eternal. And this was something that came up in our discussion last week. But eternality is an attribute that belongs to God alone. In Hebrews 9.14, it speaks of the eternal spirit. In Colossians 2.10, it tells us that that, uh, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Uh, Only that which is God could comprehend the thoughts of God. It also tells us in John 14.26, Jesus speaking here to his disciples, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance uh, that I have said to you. So no one other than the one who is omniscient has the ability to teach us all things. We also see that the Spirit of God is omnipresent. We see in Psalm 139, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So we see Paul in Acts 17 saying that in God we move and have our being, and we see the Psalter here, David, in Psalm 139, 
saying, where should I go from your spirit? Because your spirit is everywhere. It is present everywhere. Uh, we also see that the spirit of God is omnipotent. We see uh, in the passage of scripture when the angel Gabriel came to um, Mary, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Um, we see there the power within the Spirit of God. Um, we can we see here, one of the most interesting things is in John 14, 16, where uh, Jesus um, says, and I'm going to try to pull up this passage here real quick. Uh, John 14, uh, 26, Jesus says uh, he will send another comforter. Let me actually read the verse here. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper uh, to be with you forever. The another helper there in the Greek is alos parakletos. And alos is another of the same kind. If Jesus would have been talking about another kind different than himself, so if we admit that Jesus is God, we have to admit from this text that the other comforter is one of the same kind. If Jesus would have been speaking of another kind, he would have used the word heteros, heteros, parakletos, which means another of a different kind. But he uses the word alos, which means one of the same kind. Um, also, we see in Matthew and in Mark both, that the most egregious sin, which will not be forgiven, will be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. To assert that the Holy Spirit is a created being, um, and that blasphemy against a created being is a sin that will not be forgiven even in the afterlife, uh, is absolute blasphemy. To attribute that a sin against a created being is greater than a sin against God. Um, I find that to be absurd. Um, also in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, after his resurrection, uh, tells his disciples to go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We see one name singular here used for three persons. And I find it absolutely absurd that a created being would be in the category of the same name as the Father, the Son, um, and the Holy Spirit are one name. The, the, the chasm between creator and creation is enormous. And to have a created being share in the name, um, in the, the, the almighty name of God, is uh, an uh, absurdity of the highest degree. And so uh, with that, I'll turn it back over to you, uh, Carl. I well, first thing first, when you went to the spirit that moved up on the waters in um, in Genesis, you know, uh, the first couple sentences in there, that was a angel because he used the angels to renew the face of the earth. I don't know if I could find that scripture right quick. I was looking for it. But he renewed the face of the earth by angels. As he spoke the words, the angels, as he said, let there be light, the angels brought forth light. When he said, let this happen, the angels did those things. So that spirit from jump in uh, Genesis um, 1 and what's that, 2, that would be considered, 
you know, an angel. Uh, the spirit of God moved up on the water. So it was the spirit of God that he said moved up on the water. So, so ex exegetically, how can you substantiate that the spirit of God anywhere in Scripture is referred to a created being? The spirit of God is always referred to in Scripture with the same authority as God himself. Well, the breath of life is considered a spirit of God, right? Uh, no, that is not the same as the spirit of God. <clears throat> but I'm asking a simple question. Is the breath of life considered a spirit of God? No. So, okay, is the word of God considered a spirit of God? No. Okay. So is an angel considered a spirit of God? No, the spirit of God is a unique category that belongs to the being of God only. There are spirits, there are created spirits that are spiritual in nature, but they are not in the category of the spirit of God. What where, where do we see this, this terminology in the scriptures, though? Once again, I know a lot of people have wrote on things, and we can... We could quote a lot of uh, church fathers and stuff and people from the Nazi council and this and that people that sit down and came up with this uh, Trinity and the understanding of the triunal God and all of this. But where in the scriptures do we see what you're talking about? When did I quote the Council of Nicaea in our discussion? I'm just saying we can quote that or you can quote that or you could use that. I'm trying to see if you're using your premise from their from their writings or you're using the premise from the text. Every just, argument that I gave you so far has been from Scripture. So um, I didn't refer to a single church father and I did not refer to the Council of Nicaea. Yeah, but I'm just making sure people know where most of this uh, doctrine originated from. So. Once again, I ask you, well, what scripture from the ones you already quoted that you can give me for reference to show that the spirit of God is a unique, separate thing? I mean, a spirit of God is a spirit of God. I don't I don't understand how you use the scriptures to refer one scripture from another scripture saying that the spirit of God. How do you substantiate your assertion that the spirit of God can be the spirit of a created being? Okay. You seem to be me, confusing those categories. You seem to be confusing the categories of the spirit of God and spirits of created beings. What 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 in scripture gives you the the right to confuse the category of creator and created? Okay. It says in Psalms 33 and 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So now even with that the breath of his mouth is considered what? Once again, he breathed into man and man became a living soul. And he used the breath of life to do that, right? Job says, long as the spirit of God is in my nostril. Are you are you aware of that text? Yeah, I'm not sure how that uh, substantiates your assertion. Well, we're dealing with the spirit of God. We're using the terminology spirit of God. So now he he's saying in Job... Um, let me see what Job is that Job 34. He said, uh, if he set his heart up on man, if he gather unto him, his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish and man shall turn again unto the dust. 
So he said his spirit. So is that his spirit or is it someone else's spirit? Because it said himself, his spirit, and his breath. So I actually was the breath a life considered the spirit of God. And this that Job just said is his spirit. Um, I'm sorry, what was the what was the reference to uh Job, 30, Job 34, 14 through 15? Job 34, 14 through 15. Because all I'm trying to do now is show that when it used the term spirit of God or spirit, it is used in more aspects than just an angel or even God. From your aspect and from my aspect, I'm saying that that spirit is an angel. You're saying that that spirit is a part of the being known as God, one of the third members within the order of things. Okay, let's let's read this uh, passage here. Um, Job uh, chapter 34, um, uh, verse 12. Uh, uh, yeah, I know, I'll read down through there. Uh, of, of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Who gave him charge? Who gave him charge over the earth? And who laid on him the whole world? If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh should perish together, and man would return to dust. Um, all this text is saying that if God would abandon the earth and would take away the breath of life which he gives to man and would take away his spirit, which is the essence and substance of God. If he would take that away from man, all flesh would perish and all men would return to dust. Um, I, I don't know how this particular passage affirms your assertion well, that, 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 that the spirit of God is the same as, I, I think there, there's no, I don't even see your argument here. How does this passage no, no, argue? How, how does we this passage to... argue that a angel is the same as the no, spirit of God. What I said was the foundation that I'm laying down is when you use the term spirit, you used it at the beginning of Genesis when it said a spirit of God was up on the water. I inserted that that spirit was a angel, not God, but a angel. It says spirit of God. So now we're dealing with the terminology spirit of God In dealing with that terminology. I just asked you a question is the breath considered his spirit or a spirit of God. I asked you what's his words considered a and spirit. My, so, and my so, answer to that is no. The okay, breath of God, now, the, life, the breath of life which God gives to man is is not the spirit of God. There, well, I would like that's, to go to, that's life. I would that like is, to go to Job, man Job 20. Became, God when he created man, he breathed into him a life-giving spirit. Man became a living spirit in and of himself, but he did not become the eternal God. Uh, the spirit of God is eternal and is in a different category than the spirit of man or the spirit of any other created being. Well, it said, it said the breath of life and he became a living soul, not a live, living spirit. I never read that. But I would like to go to Job 27, 1 through 3. It said, moreover, Job continued his parable and said, as God lived, who has taken away my judgment and the almighty who has vexed my soul. That's what God made with the breath of life in Genesis 2 and 7. All the while my breath is in me, 
and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Isn't that what we breathe through our nostrils and through our mouth? So he said, now this same spirit, if that be the case, and it's just one type of spirit of God, this same spirit that moved up on the water resides in his nostrils now. That would not make any sense based up on any exegesis or any breakdown of the scripture. So the spirit of God is more than whatever it was that moved up on the face of the waters. At this point, we will have to agree or disagree, but that's my statement. Okay. So uh, first of all, man does have a spirit uh, that's very clear in Ecclesiastes 3.21, Proverbs 20.27, 20, Job 32.8. It speaks of the spirit of man, spirit of man, spirit of man, uh, uh, in multiple passages of Scripture. So man's soul is, uh, is a spirit. Uh, but the question that I want to ask you is, is the greatest sin, is it against God? Uh, what's, what's a greater sin, to sin against God or to sin against man? Or a are, you, are you asking what is uh, the what is the unforgivable sin that he will forgive you of all no. sins but blaspheme and the Holy Spirit? Is that yeah? So the question I have for you is what is is it a greater sin to sin against your Creator, or is it a greater sin to sin against a creature? Well, sin is sin. I it, I won't say it's a greater sin to you know they all I believe are looked up on the same. With God, so, so if I if I sin against a fellow man and I and I wrong you, Carl, or another created being of God, but I directly sin against God, which is a greater sin? Well, in wrong and sinning against me, you sin against God because He tell you to love one is to not lie, steal, kill, covet, and do wicked towards me. Don't oppress me. Don't bear false witness on me. And him, and him giving you those commandments, if you break them, then you sinning against him. Well, what did Jesus you know, say was the all, greatest, what, what, what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? The greatest two is love God with our, all thy heart and our neighbor as thyself. And as the book okay. say, we uh, bless God with our mouth and we curse our brethren every day. So the greatest commandment, Jesus said, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the greatest sin would be to sin against God directly. So are you saying that to blaspheme a created being is a greater sin? Because Jesus, let's look at that text. Now let's go to my, Matthew. My is what, how do you sin against God directly? Because I don't understand what you mean when you say greater sin somebody, to God directly. Carl, if somebody blasphemes their creator or somebody blasphemes a creature, which is the greatest sin? Like I said to me, all of them the same. So, so there's no difference to you if somebody blasphemes a creature versus their creator. I mean, God look at sin. He says no sin greater than the other, unless you find. That's the, not true. They, oh, okay, there's, well, texts say that one's greater than the other. I have. There's no text in Scripture that says all sin is alike. God has always dealt with sins in different ways. Uh, some sins are given greater punishments than others. Um, but in in uh, Matthew chapter twelve, it says, "Whoever is not." Uh, 
Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 30, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But blasphemy, so even blasphemy against the Son and the Father, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Himself, the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite self-designation, against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So are you really telling me, it is your assertion, that to blaspheme a created being, an angel, is a greater sin than to blaspheme the Holy Son of Man? Is that your assertion? I'm not, saying, I have, I'm not yet said one time that one was greater than the other. So no, I just want to leave it at that. Is so you're saying that it is greater, uh, it is it is a sin that will not be forgiven by God is to blaspheme uh, a created being, but to blaspheme the eternal Son of God is a is. It didn't say that. It said to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? Let me read the text. KJV. Yes. So what 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 text was that? Matthew chapter twelve, verses thirty one to. 30. Matthew 12, because I was looking at something else, but let's go there. Matthew 12, 31, right? Uh, you can read 30 to the end of the chapter, 32, verse 30 to 32. Matthew 12, 30 to 32. Okay. So 32 is the key. It said, and whoever speak it, a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speak against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So he's very specific about that. He didn't say one was greater or the less. He said whosoever does that sin, what the punishment for doing that particular sin was. Yeah, absolutely. But but your position that the Holy Spirit is a created being makes that blasphemy against a whole against a created being being the sin that will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Right. And what? and and blasphemy against the Son of Man is one that will be forgiven. My, well, my point is since since the Holy Spirit is God, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to blaspheme uh in particular the work of that particular person of the Trinity um, is to specifically blaspheme God. Well, I understand your position based up on the doctrinal perspective in which you hold, but my doctrinal perspective is that Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit that he said is the comforter, it's the spirit of truth. That's not the same, right? So so you're saying that One, the, the spirit here in Matthew chapter 12 verse 32 is not the same spirit holy spirit that is elsewhere referred to when he say i'm a spirit or i'm a sent to you a comforter or i'm a sent to you the spirit of truth that's him sending a you know i would like to say being but i'm gonna say entity so we can be in between person and being a entity towards you which is called he he will do this he will do that right he will do this. He will do that. That's how that's stated, right? Now, once again, as we just got through dealing with the spirit of God, when you say 
Holy Spirit, it comes in many shapes, forms, or fashion. One again, if an angel is known as a holy angel and an angel is also a spirit, then by reason of an angel being a spirit and holy, you have a holy spirit right there. That's in the sense that you hear me talking about when you say a created being. Jesus said in John 6 and 63, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. And I believe what Jesus speak is holy, saying that he is holy, like his father and holy and his words are holy. And he's been speaking a mighty long time, even from let there be light. So all those words that we read in the Holy Bible, I consider to be the Holy Spirit that you can't blaspheme against and think that you will be forgiven for in this life or the life to come. That's my doctrinal perspective based upon the term spirit that you can't blaspheme against. The same spirit that are dwelling you when an angel do not possess man, not a holy angel, a demon may possess a man, but a holy angel possession of a holy angel. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, it says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you, is that the is that an angel there? No, that's the word of God. This is this is similar to as he's speaking Ezekiel two, and he said, uh, and he said unto the son of man, stand up on thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the spirit entered into me when he spoke unto me, meaning the words of God are spirit, and those words went into his earlobes, went into his heart, went into him, and set me up on my feet, and I heard him speak unto me. That's a spirit entering unto him when the Lord God by his angels spoke unto him. If you go down to three and seven, it says, uh, thus said the Lord and they, whether they were here or whether they forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet, yet shall know that there has been a prophet amongst them. And thou son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Right? He said, um, I'm not reading it from the Bible, so uh, let me find let me get to it. But he said, and thou shalt speak my words unto them. So now he's in into that, and now he's speaking the word of God to them. So now he's speaking by the spirit to them, by the word of God that entered into them. So that's what dwells in man, the word of God. What he sent unto man is his holy messenger, which is spirit. Okay, so in yes, Matthew... In Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, it says, Behold my spirit whom I have chosen, my beloved whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim the justice to the Gentiles. Who? What's the spirit here? Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that a creating again? Yes, that's a Holy Spirit, and that still is the word of God because the word of God was to be on him. He, when he read the passage, what I think is... What what passage? He said, uh, the spirit of the Lord is up on me, right? So when he said the God spirit, is up on me to do this when, and do that. When he said the spirit of the Lord, was that a created angelic spirit again? No, nah, that's that's the very word that God speaks. Okay, so which so, Jesus let me finish a, okay. a quick statement. Jesus said, The words that my father speak, that's what he do. So the very words that 
the father dictated to him that he dictated to the angels and the prophets was moved by those words from the ministering spirits of God, the Holy Spirits, a Holy Spirit is written down. And those words moved his every move because he had to fulfill prophecy. Those words was up on him to be carried out. He had to live them to the leather. So that's the word of God that dictated unto him. So what my, my question would be is what hermeneutical principle are you using that allows you to, within uh, the very same chapter, I give you multiple cases of spirit and it, completely out of their context. In some cases, you say it is the Holy Spirit, that you say it's a created being. Sometimes you say it is the word of God. Uh, you, you keep changing what what gives you what hermeneutical principle are you using that allows you to just randomly change the meaning of the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit throughout these texts when I'm giving you th th examples within the same passage? Well, the thing is to deal with context. So based up on the context of the passage that you read, you have to understand in which it, in which it means. That's why I was showing at first when we went to Job and Job said the Spirit of God is in my nostril. Now, if this the same spirit that moved up on the water, then it's just saying the breath of God moved up on the water because he said this thing that's in his nostril is known as the breath of life in which God put in man. You could say this is even uh, you can even say this is um, the essence of God or the being of God or whatever. If, you know, from your perspective, you want to deal with it and try to comprehend it in that manner. Me, myself, I would not I wouldn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Because of my hermeneutics, my, my way of dealing with things, line up on line, precept on precept, having full knowledge of other scriptures and having other witnesses of spirit, meaning more things than, you know, just an angelical being or the essence of God and this and that. So I'm using the biblical text, right, okay. to deal with this. This is the same thing as I said when you go to John 6, and 63, he said, it is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profit nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I believe those words to be holy. I don't need a term in front of it to say it's holy. Jesus is holy. The Father provokes people to be holy. So those words are holy spirits to me because those words are spirit and they are holy. Okay, so is the... Um does does the the angelic being does it have a will uh that um allows him to uh for example to to do things for the people of god to give them gifts for example uh, of his own will and not the will of god so in other words since he's, you believe he's a separate being he's a created being uh so he is subservient to his creator can he uh, do things of his own will uh, for the people of God? No, he cannot. No. That's okay. uh, so that's in, that's the people of God speaking the word. Let me let me explain a little bit. That's the people of God speaking the word of God and allowing the angel, the angel hear it, and he has to do as a servant of God do. This is where you see Moses destroyed Egypt by wicked wicked angels. Okay. God destroyed so, Egypt by wicked angels. So. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, uh, uh, Paul is speaking of the gifts of the Spirit, 
And it says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we see here the Spirit is the one who apportions to each person according to his will, not, not the will of God. You say they're separate. You say he's a created being. So here you see him apportioning uh, to each one individually as he wills. It's no problem with that. I mean, at the same time, doesn't that if contradict not what for you, you just said? No, nah, that don't contradict what I said. Now you're dealing with context. So you asking a flat-out question and then going to a scripture to deal with the context of the scripture. Like, I did it earlier when I asked, is the breath a spirit? So, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but it's not a contradiction in what I said because you're trying to deal with all cases, one, one case fit all. It's not one case fit all when you're dealing with a spirit and then what the spirit doing, don't do. So in that case, like it said, one, all can interpret, all can't speak in tongues, all can't heal, all can't teach, all can't do this. So if you can't do those things, then how is he going to put something on you that you unable to do or God haven't fixed for you to do? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So I want so you to... Now- I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's cool. And uh, let's let's uh, look at this text in verse 6. Who is, uh, who is it that empowers um, the gifts, um, a variety of gifts to the people of God? Who is it that empowers them in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6? This God itself, he allows everything to happen by its own. Will. Okay, but that's, cor- that's correct. Carry out his will. The so, angels carry out his will. There's exactly. nothing that an angel does not the will of God. So okay. in the position that we're talking about, you're saying that that spirit that give them those gifts is doing that by his own will, or that's a separate being from God that's carrying out that. No, you know what I'm saying uh, the, the not a being, spirit. but person. The Holy Spirit is fully God as the Father. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6, can you read that verse for us, please? 1 Corinthians 12, 6, it said, And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So now. So who is it? Is it God here that works these gifts within us, all in everyone? Well, I just told you that the angels do the will of God. So you ask, can they on their own will do something, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but in this verse, in verse 6 here, it says, and there are varieties of activities, but all the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So your King James says the same thing, that it is God who empowers them, right? But how do we empower them? That's the question. What is the methodology that he uses to do it? He exactly. don't snap his finger. Happen. We're not talking about uh, okay. a magic wand and stuff like that. So, what is the so, mode of so, operation he used to do these things? So, let's go down to verse eleven. Read verse eleven. Verse eleven. But all these work it that one and the same Spirit, dividing to every man. What's that? severely as he will. So 
is the spirit so, here uh, importioning and giving these gifts according to his will? This is the word of God, though. This is not an angel. This is not even a God. This is the word of God dividing to every man as so this, he could be. So this is not the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say Holy Spirit, so how do okay. we get this so Holy in verse Spirit? in verse 3, just three verses prior, we see the context of this. It says, therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can ever say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Oh, 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 we, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. We see in this fast. context, we see we're in the context. Okay, read we're the whole context. Fast. In verse 3, it said, Wherefore... I give you understanding that no man speak it, but by the spirit of God, call it Jesus, right? The point you want to make is right here in the second half. It said, and that no man can say Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, right? It said and now. What and what I'm pointing out to you, Carl, is that the Holy Spirit referenced here in verse three is the exact same spirit that is continually talked about in the next verses. It does not change. It's still yeah, speaking about say, the Holy Spirit. If when, you it follow, first four, when he said first four, now there are diversities of the spirit, the spirit of what? The spirit of God or diversities of the Holy Ghost. It says in my Bible, it might say Holy Spirit in your diversities of the Holy Ghost or diversity of the spirit of God, which I once again will say that this is the word of God here. Okay, so what I'm going to do so that the see uh, the, the, the carrying on of the context in this, that it is speaking about the Holy Spirit from verse 3 all the way down to verse 11, where it says all are empowered by the one and the same Spirit. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 3 to 11 because I want my audience to be able to hear this. So therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaks in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For no one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we can see through the context of this, it's speaking of one spirit, of the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 3, it keeps on speaking of the exact same Spirit who is the one who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If we allow the text of Scripture to speak for itself here, we can see very clearly that the Holy Spirit here apportions to these gifts according to how he wills, and he is not a subservient created being underneath the authority of uh, two other beings. Okay, what well, 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 you mess up here? 
it's the fact that you are certain that it's the Holy Ghost, but it's that same spirit. And when you read spirit in the context of this out of the KJV, the spirit that is mentioned is the spirit of God. The Holy Ghost is a slang word for Holy Spirit, right? Ghost slang for spirit. But in the context and how it's written in the literary fashion that is produced, the spirit that it's talking about is the only spirit that was mentioned, the spirit of God. As it reads in three, it said the spirit of God called Jesus, right? That's the only way it could do that. Then it said, um, no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit, right? Which is, is I mean, whoever, now you could deal with that if you want to, whoever um, translated that, put ghost there, then put spirit there, and everything else would be translated by the same thing. So it would say the ghost of God and the ghost of this instead of spirit. So do we tie that spirit in with spirit of God or do we tie that spirit in with the Holy Ghost? Because that's what you're doing to the text. And I don't believe that that's the way it's, liter it's laid out based up on the literary grammatical layout here. So grammatically, it, it, it doesn't lay out the way you, you're saying it. Or, or or you're making an argument that it does. Are you there? Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, he left the chat. He'll be back, people. So we'll wait for him to get back. But people, that's what it is. So it won't be dead out. Like I said, to know my position and to know what I say will be dealing with what I say, you know, outside of what I say, you're not dealing with what I say. So he's asking a lot of questions to see my perspective. So now I go to uh, Romans eight right quick. And Romans eight, let us know that it's a spirit that dwell in you and nowhere as I said, do you see an angel outside a demonic being that, um, uh, and we're still alive too, aren't we? Are y'all hearing me? Anyway, so Romans 8, and it says, verse 10, and if Christ be in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. What spirit are we talking about, people? Right? But if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead, dead dwelling you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. So now this is the spirit that dwells in you. In reading the literary uh, 
text of James White and dealing with the perspective in which I heard in the last uh, discourse we took, this would denote that this spirit, because that's the way they said a father, the word, and the spirit. In their writings, it don't even say Holy Spirit. It just say the spirit. This spirit will be God to dwell in you. Now, how do this happen? Right? Let's go to uh, John 17. Once again, it's the word that dwell in you. Jesus said, I give them thy word. Thy word is truth. Right? So, uh, John 17, and we're going to pick it up at 17. And thou has sent me into the world. Hold up. I said 17. Sanctify them through thou truth. Thou word is truth. So I believe he's joining the call back now. So 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. And for this sake, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. What he said, thou word is truth, right? So the word of God sanctify you, set you apart. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their words. So this word is what sanctify you. This word is what dwells in you as I read Ezekiel uh, 2. And he said, eat this roll. That, well, that's in 3. He said, eat this roll and go speak my words to them. And that roll was the spirit, Right. Okay, so uh, I didn't. Uh, can you guys hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, you're back now. Okay, so I dropped off there. We were in Colossians 12. Um, so um, I wanted to. Um, so I didn't get to hear your response to that, but uh, we had gone through that text, and I guess your assertion is is that the spirit in verse 11 is different than the spirit in verse three. Is that your assertion? Nah, my thing, what I stated was that, uh, it said a spirit of God and it say, Holy spirit. It, I mean, Holy ghost, it don't say Holy spirit. So if we going to, um, denote or state that the spirit did this, that will be the spirit of God, not the Holy ghost, because it doesn't proclaim Holy spirit. That claims Holy ghost. So we can't say the Holy ghost, you know, because the translators put ghosts and not spirit there, which yeah. shows a difference from the spirit of God and the Holy Ghost, which we will have to go else places to say it's the Holy Spirit. So in context, I will put it with the spirit of God, which is the word of God. Um, okay, so the next uh, uh, text that I wanted to take you to was Acts chapter 17. Um and I wanted to, uh, if you could turn there uh, briefly, uh, Acts chapter 17 in verse uh, 28. Um, could you just read just the first part of that verse? It's just Paul speaking here at the Areopagus. Um, he is, uh, he is uh, actually quoting one of their poets here, but he is uh, telling them that uh, that their poets were actually uh, speaking of the one and true God, uh, in verse 27, uh, that they should seek God, perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Um, so uh, in him we live and move and have our being. Is that, uh, would you agree that that 
particular statement um, has to do with the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere? Well, we, we, had a, we had a spirit of God dwelling in us, the breath of life. So, I mean, that no, makes sense. Do, do, do you believe that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere all at once? Yeah, through his angels, through his angels, he's everywhere. That's why so, he got seven eyes to move throughout the world. So you don't actually believe that God is omnipresent? I'm stating to you how I believe he's omnipresent by his angels that travel throughout the world and uh, report back to him. So, so God himself is not everywhere. It's just that he has uh, these ministering spirits that are in some places. Do these... Do these minutes, uh, these these created angelic beings, do they have locality? In other words, uh, they're not everywhere at once. Uh, can they? Um, are they're just at particular places? They only have locality. They only have what one a, particular location where they're what at. A deal, what a deal with God Himself! It states that He's sitting on the throne and Jesus on His right hand. Never do we read of Him getting off of His throne and carrying out any tasks. So if God is sitting on his throne and that's his locale and Jesus at his right hand, that's his locale, then how is God doing anything in the earth? Once again, as I stated, he uses his angels to renew the face of the earth and minister and do everything else. When he told Satan, I put Job, Job said, uh, now put your hand forth and touch him and he will bla- blaspheme thee. He told Satan, I put him in your hand, meaning that he put him in the hands of Satan to allow Satan to go to his wife and say, curse God and uh, die. And he said, you speak like a foolish woman, but it was Satan, the hand of God that acted in that fashion. Once again, God split the Red Sea. How did he split the Red Sea? By his angels. He destroyed Egypt. How did he destroy Egypt? By his angels. So, so let me ask you this in Jeremiah 23, 24, where it says, can a man hide himself in hiding places? So I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. Are you saying that God does not fill the heavens and the earth? Hold up, Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, 24. 23, 24. Let me get the reference to that because that reference in the new and in the old will say, uh, who should go up to heaven to get his word and who should go down to bring his word forth, right? Uh, 23 and 20 what? Seven. Mm-hmm. So let me see that judges, I believe. Jeremiah 23, 24. Right. I'm, I'm trying to go to the other scriptures that refer to the same thing. Uh, so in, can... first, in first Kings eight twenty seven says, but it, will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built? This is Solomon speaking. That's figurative language. Oh, just figurative language. So he he doesn't actually fill all of heaven and earth. That's just entirely figurative. I mean, unless you say it's literal, then if that's the case, there's no room for nobody else because he filled all of heaven and earth. And what, you know, that means he's filling up the space of my room right now and everything else. I don't believe that God is literally filling up the space, the empty space in this room that doesn't have a couch or a chair or something within that space. So once again, okay. do, I would do say you, that do you, under, do you understand that God existed before the created universe? Do you understand that? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So if uh, everything that you, uh, you exist in is made of created matter, 
then God is made of something other than created matter, right? Well, I mean, I'm just dealing with what the text say once again well, in no, this no, bigger literally, because if that's the case, then God don't have a throne in heaven to sit in and okay, that's either literal or figurative. So if that's his dwelling place, then how is his foot down here on earth or another portion of him down here on earth? Uh, no, God does sit in particularly the uh, the Son of God. Um, it does sit on his throne, but in his being of God, uh, Jesus is omnipresent. I don't I don't even believe in the incarnation that the eternal Son of God um, lost his omnipresence. Um, okay. God is everywhere. In him we move and have our being. In Proverbs fifteen three, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Okay. Um, God is everywhere. Well, let so, me ask you a couple things when you get an opportunity, because I, I haven't asked that many questions. I, I like to explain stuff, but I, I want to ask some questions to see um, your perspective on some things. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go to a couple scriptures, right? Let's go to uh, John 60, 63, if you could read that for me. What's that? John 6 and 63. Mm-hmm. Think. Uh, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do not take offense to this. When, uh, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Um, What Jesus is saying here in verse 63 is just a reiteration of all the proclamations of God's sovereignty in John chapter 6, in salvation. It says in beginning uh, in verse 29, it says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So it is God's work that we believe. It is a sovereign act of God that we believe. In verse 37, it says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. In verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, And then we see here Jesus at the end where the disciples said in verse 60, this is a hard saying, you know, who can listen to it? Speaking of that God is the one who is sovereign. No one can come unto him unless he's drawn by the Father. And all that are drawn by the Father to the Son are raised up on the last day. Jesus reminds them it is the work of God that you believe. And in verse 63, he says, it is the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit here, It is the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In the same way as it says in John chapter 1, verse 13, it says, those who are born of God are born not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in the same way, the flesh here is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So what Jesus is saying here is that the words, the gospel that he has spoken, 
The gospel itself, through the working of the Holy Spirit and the inward call, brings man to spiritual life. Um, and it is the Holy Spirit who does the sovereign work of regeneration. So that is what Jesus is speaking about here in so, verse 63 of John chapter 6. So you, you're going to leave out the part where you pick it up in 48. I am that bread which came down. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. And if you pick it up, you'll see what they're mumbling about. It's saying 59. These things said he in the synagogue and taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, which heard these sayings, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear them? Right. So now we either talking about the totality of the conversation. He did eat him because he was talking about uh, eat this bread and you will live forever. And this bread comes from God and not the manner or the bread that your fathers ate in the thing. So now he's saying uh, the words that he speak, they are spirit and they are life. Eat them words basically is what he's saying. Yeah, what Jesus is saying here is that he himself is the bread of life. Um, he said that they came, you came, uh, speaking to the Jews here, he had just got done feeding um, uh, the 5,000 in the first part of chapter 6, and these Jews were coming to him for the bread that does not, uh, the temporal bread. And Jesus was telling them that, that he is the bread of life. If anyone eats of this bread of himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I, uh, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So his own body. And then right. Jesus tells us further in 53 that truly I say to you that unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What Jesus is talking about here is our union with him in Christ. For example, Paul says that he was crucified with Christ. I believe that's in Romans chapter 6. Um, is that our union with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if we are not united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, we will not be raised up on the last day. So are we must... That's the conversation? Because I think he's talking about the Passover, and he said, take this bread, eat, this is my flesh. And he yes. said, take, take this wine, and this is my blood. So he's talking about he's going to give his life, and they're going to eat him, and they're like, so, eat you. And so, so, so Peter down in 68, Simon said, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And he said, the words that he speak are spirit, and they quicken you. They make it you alive. So I wanted to go somewhere after that to line it up. But, but we need to finish exegeting this text. So in version here is that John 6 is speaking about specifically about communion. I don't deny that there is some connection here, but the primary thing is us partaking in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it your assertion here that John chapter 6, verse 53 to uh, 58 is speaking about specifically about communion? Is that your and the Last Supper? Is that what you say it's speaking about? I don't call it community. I call it Passover sin that he okay. passed over to him that was okay. sacrificed for our sins and given for the atonement of our sins. So I okay. call let's, it Passover. Let's, let's, let's use Passover then. Okay. So anyone who partakes of what you refer to as the Passover, are they eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood of Christ? They're eating of the words of God. Are they of eating? Christ. 
uh, well, you applied this passage to the Passover. This is a parable. This is a parable, and a parable is not a literal thing. It's a thing to give you insight and knowledge into a literal thing. That's why he said, the words that I'm speaking, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about eating my literal flesh or drinking my literal blood, as some people... I, I, I understand that. I understand that. But you're saying that this here is communion, right? And so you're saying when he says in verse 54... Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, uh, you're saying that that particular text right there is in reference to partaking of the Passover, right? Right. Is that your assertion? Okay. So then in the rest of verse 54, it says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So does everyone who partakes in Passover, are they given eternal life and raised up on the last day? I don't think this is a part of the subject, but the thing is, you could take a Passover. That don't mean that you will be raised in the last day at the first resurrection. It, I would exactly. say this, that, that there it, are two resurrections. The first one is only those that die in Christ, that when he the seven trumpet blow, they will raise and meet Christ in the air and forever be with Christ as his feet hit the Mount of Olives. Now, after that, there will be another resurrection and everyone will resurrect and be come forth to the judgment seat. Then after that, it's no more resurrection, but everyone will resurrect from the dead as uh, Daniel 12 and I believe verse 2 explains. Some to righteous, uh, whatever, however it read, I, I ain't got time to flip to it. All righty. Um, I think we're actually getting a little bit off topic of our, our discussion here. We're talking about the deity of the Holy Spirit. What was right. what was in this in this passage here that you thought refuted the deity of the Holy Spirit? No, it's not that. We have to go to a couple things. I'm not just exegesis in one passage. It's, it's, it's here a little, there a little um, to get an understanding with two or three witnesses stating or talking about the same subject matter. So before you came back, I was reading Romans 8 and I was explaining that in verse 10 and 11, he said, and if Christ being you, right, because if you eating Christ, then Christ will be dwelling in you, but we know that it's the words that you are consuming, just as I read earlier in Ezekiel, right? So it said, and if Christ, you got the text of Romans 8 and 10, and if Christ being you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life and of righteousness. He said even these words are eternal life, right? It did these words quicken also like you can read in first Corinthians 15. It's the words that quicken. Right? So in verse 11, he said, But if the spirit of him, and what spirit would this be at this point to you? How would you denote what spirit is speaking about? Well, in verse uh, uh nine of Romans chapter eight, it says, You however are not in the flesh. Uh he's repeating he had just got done saying that those who are in the flesh uh, are hostile to God, they cannot submit to God's law, uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But he's speaking then to believers, uh, those who have been regenerated. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, uh, which uh, is speaking about we are in the Spirit of God, uh, in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. If, in fact, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ uh, does not belong to him. Here we see the Holy Spirit actually referred to as the Spirit of Christ. 
does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is speaking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the spirit of life be, uh, because of righteousness is once again the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies though his, uh, through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is all referring to the Holy Spirit. So would you, say, would you say this is the Holy Spirit or even the Holy Ghost? Or, or what, how would you, would you denote Holy Spirit? Meaning from my perspective, I would say either the angel or the words, because he said the, word, the words that I speak, they are spirit. And then it's something that dwells in you. I'm arguing or exegesing this out to be the spirit, the word of God that dwells in you that would do this. Now, now, I have this, a scripture this, that, says, that states it verbatim. I got a scripture that states it verbatim. But the thing is, I'm talking about it now, but I believe I got a scripture that states it verbatim that let the word of God dwell in you with all richness and wisdom. That's what the word of God does. It dwells in you. Then that will go back to the fact that the word is spirit. And I already said that I believe that that word is also holy. And if that word dwell in you, then that spirit, that word is what will raise you up in the last day. Um, the the Bible repeatedly speaks of the word of God indwelling us, uh, speaks of Christ indwelling us, and speaks of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Uh, we should not conflate those categories and simply say they are all one and the same thing when the Bible doesn't do that. Uh, so when it says that Christ indwells in our hearts, it means that uh, it is Christ who dwells in our hearts. Uh, when it says the word of God dwells in us, uh, the word of God is also sharper than a two-edged sword, uh, piercing uh, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Um, that is the word of God penetrating into the hearts. Um, we see the word of God dwells in us. We put it in our hearts. We uh, uh, That's in Psalm 119. Um, there is no reason to conflate these categories um, to to make all of these the same thing. Uh, well, they all they all equivalent in the fact that they dwell in us. Now, well, absolutely, but, but you keep conflating the categories and you keep making them. In some cases, you make them the same thing, and in other cases, you don't. Uh, you're not being consistent at all in your hermeneutical approach. Sometimes you well, say that they're the same thing, and sometimes you say that they're different. It's two so, things that got to be dealt with. Do, uh, does uh, Jesus Christ does Jesus Christ dwell in our hearts? This this hold up before I say that. There's two things you got to remember that I'm dwelling with. I'm not limited to the spirit of God is God and in in or deity or what. I'm not limited to that. And, and and my my ability to deal with these two things is what brings about my conversation. I don't know if you ever heard this well, type of conversation. It, in using your own logic, Carl, in using your own logic, I'm going to use your own logic against you. You said that uh, you're, you're saying because they dwell in us, the Bible says very clearly uh, that Christ dwells in us. So if you, we're going to just use your logic, then therefore Christ, because you say that the Holy Spirit is a created being, the, the Bible also says the Holy Spirit indwells us. 
So because Christ indwells us and the Holy Spirit indwells us, well, therefore, that makes Jesus Christ a created being. Remember, I said two things that the Holy Spirit, right, dealing with the spirit of truth, the comforter, the Holy Spirit is an angelic person. I'm going to put it like that. I would say angelical being, but then you say only God is the only being in the heavenly dwellings. You know, no, no that's not true. No, no. I, God is not the only being. God is the uh, God is the only uh, creator being. There's only one being of God. There's multiple other beings. I am a being. Oh, okay. Angels are beings. But the yeah. essence and nature of my being and the essence and nature of other created beings is wholly different than the being of God. The being of God is infinite, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, whereas the being of any created creature is finite, is uh, not omnipresent, has only has locality, um, is not omnipotent. Um, there's forces outside of uh, us that can impede uh, our, the exercising of our will. Um, God has nothing outside of him that impedes him exercising his will. That's because he's omnipotent. He can do as he pleases. Um, so I, there's many beings, but there is only one eternal infinite in being of God. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I didn't, I, I still didn't, you know, clarity of that never reached me when I was hearing that, uh, the breakdown from you, even you, uh, James White, when I was listening to that. So once again, I was saying I'm dealing with two aspects. The word of God is spirit and it is holy. The angelical being known as an angel, right, is a spirit. And it's also holy because you can read of holy angels. So now that's a holy spirit and that's a holy spirit. So based up on the context of what you read, as I stated earlier in the broadcast, I never read where angelical being that's holy possess or take over one i never read what jesus goes into a person possesses them and take over them and dwell in them in that sense so when you say i'm gonna really have to challenge this logic of 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 stringing together this this uh this that angels are spirits and then also saying that um that uh, angels are called holy, and therefore you stick those together and you call it Holy Spirit. In Ecclesiastes 3.21, it says, Who knoweth the spirit of man? In Proverbs 20.27, it says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. In Job 38, uh, 32, verse 8, it says, But it is the spirit of man, the breath of the Almighty. It says then in Isaiah 62.12, it says, They shall call uh, them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. So we see people are called holy. We see p- people have a spirit. So therefore, using your own logic, Carl, then therefore people are holy spirits. No, I don't. I don't use that. People are living souls. They're not celestial beings. Celestial beings make up. Celestial beings are God and the angels. Terrestrial beings, Carl. Are, Carl, I, I use your very. I used your logic. I use the exact same argument you did. Man, it's I just, not spirit. How could you use logic I, I like just, I just read three verses that said that man is a spirit. What? Wait, 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 wait what's the verses? Ecclesi- I didn't catch it. Ecclesiastes 3.21. Ecclesiastes. Okay, Ecclesiastes 3.21. All right. It says, 
who knoweth the spirit of man that goes upward or the spirit of beast that go downwards to the earth that spirit is the breath of life it doesn't say man is the spirit it says spirit or, of man it, so man is spirit in it's Isaiah, the spirit of well, man just like you say the spirit of god that don't mean that spirit is god that mean it's of god that spirit is not man that spirit is of man okay so then go to uh job 32 8 job 32 8 it's going to be pretty much the breath of life. I can tell you that right now. Job 32, 8 say, but there is a spirit in man. Exactly. And so there, once again, inspiration. Man, man is a spirit and man, uh, the redeemed of God are called holy. So therefore, using your own logic, man is a holy spirit. No, man is not a spirit, therefore he cannot be a Holy Spirit. I, I, just, blood I, I, I just gave you multiple verses, and I can give you many more that demonstrate that man has a spirit. Uh, well, there's, many, him. there's many verses in Scripture that demonstrate that man has a spiritual aspect to his being, that he is a spirit. He has, right, the uh, breath of life is spirit, there, and, and you have that in your you have that in your lungs and flown through your uh bloodstream too oxygen flows through your whole body so you have a spirit no. in you in ecclesiastes 321 it says who knoweth the spirit of man that goes upward so when somebody dies their spirit goes on they still exist as a spiritual being so in isaiah 62 12 and they shall call them the holy people the redeemed of the lord they shall thou shalt be called so that means then once again using your own logic that human beings are holy spirits. Hold up, let me get to Ecclesiastes 9 right quick. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.21, the, the spirit of man goeth upward. It's talking about when a man dies. Right. But it's also another scripture that speaks on that spirit that leaves out of your nostrils. Once again, that's Job. Um Cause when you when you see man in Genesis two and seven, it said, "And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living soul." Job said to uh, Job twenty seven one through three, it said, um, um, "Job continued his parable and said, as God live, who has taken away my judgment and the almighty who has vexed my soul. That's what man is, a living soul. All the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostril, right? So then we go to Job 34, 14 through 15. If he set his heart up on man, if he gather his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together and man should turn again unto the dust. Because if he take his breath away, but I'm going to give you another one. Psalms 33 and 6. By the word of the Lord was the heaven made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Right? So the breath is from God. It is spirit and it gives life. It activates a soul. Make it an animated soul. You take the breath away and you become an unanimated soul a dead soul 
So you can't reason that man is a spirit. He is a flesh and blood being. Jesus is the only man that went from flesh and blood to a celestial being, a spiritual being. Um, I, I've shown you multiple texts that man has okay. a spirit. So um, uh, we can we can move on on that. Um, so. Um, so the uh, I we we never got to finish uh, the the so I think we were in the discussion about omnipresence uh, and you deny that God um, is everywhere at once. You deny the doctrine of omnipresence. Well, I did not deny that. I stated how he is that. How do he accomplish the task of being everywhere at every time? So 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 when it says. Uh, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Those are angels' eyes. That's not the. That's not actually God. Oh, you that's haven't read seven eyes. The Lord have seven eyes. Yeah, um, I'm so not exactly he, sure what. Have seven eyes? Are those seven no. eyes? Uh, <laughs> it says in Psalms that He covers us over with His wings. God is not a chicken either. Uh, there, the Bible uses anthropomorphic language to describe things. Uh, for example, it says that God uses the earth as his footstool. It doesn't mean that he actually rests his foot on the earth. Uh, but the Bible is very clear that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. Uh, for example, in Psalm 39, if I go to the depths of hell, behold, you are there. If I go to the depths of the seas, behold, you are there. It doesn't matter uh, where he goes. Uh, behold, the Lord is there. Um, it says that uh, the Lord, um, that the 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 heavens and the earth cannot uh, contain uh, the Lord is used in multiple well, places. Just just do me a favor and read two verses for me: Zechariah four and ten, and Revelation five and six, because it says that they are the eyes of the Lord. Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Meaning that they cover the whole earth, these seven that are called the eyes of the Lord. When you go to Revelations 5 and 6, it said, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. To and fro throughout the earth, these seven spirits, right? Of God is sent to for and out. So there you go again with the terminology spirit of God, but this time it's plural, it's more than one spirit of God. It is denoted seven spirits of God, which are the seven eyes of God, which go to and fro throughout the earth, making him omnipresent throughout the earth through his spirits. That is my logic based up on the literary text. Okay, what was the uh the first text I'm trying to find it here? Uh the was, first one. Uh, the one the one where you talked about the the seven spirits. Well, I'm familiar with it. I'm just not for some reason. I... Revelations five and six is where it say the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Zechariah four and ten was the one that said those seven they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through 
throughout uh, the earth. Uh, Revelation what? Five and six. Okay, the the entire chapters. Nah, just Revelation chapter five, verse six. Okay. Um, it says here in Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, um, these are the ones around the throne praising the Lord, among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out uh, into all the earth. And he went and took the uh, scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living... Okay, this is actually speaking here uh, specifically of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. Um, Right. This is idiomatic language uh, because, for example, Jesus doesn't have um, seven horns and seven eyes. This is... This is figurative language, which is used throughout uh, all of Hebrew literature when it comes to um, when it comes to speaking of uh, to de- to describe things to to a man. We see this all the time, uh, and so this is Jesus Himself does not have seven eyes and seven horns. This is idiomatic right. language that is used um, that is very uh, common among uh, Hebrew literature. Right, um, but so. With this- Noting is as it go with Zechariah four and ten, it said those seven, which it speaks more in uh Zechariah three and nine, it said, For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one of the stones shall be seven eyes. Behold, I have engraved the grief grieving grief graving thereof, said the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of the land in this one and you can read on so it said the seven eyes then it go down into uh chapter four and ten and it started talking you can read it in in uh, the thing but it say in context but it say those seven they are the eyes of the lord and now we know the lord one of the lords right because it said the lord said unto my lord one of the lords is the lamb and it said that lamb has seven eyes, and those eyes were seven spirits. So it idiomatic, I can't even get it out. Whatever language we know is figurative speech, it still is denoting that the Lord has seven eyes. And it's, yes, not talking literally like he has seven eyes, but those seven eyes are seven spirits of God, which take us back to the spirit of God. Not just one spirit of God, meaning that that one is also known as God out of the three persons that you say are part of the being of God. Right? Um, Yeah. Here's the thing. Whenever the Holy Spirit is referred to, he's referred to in a singular, uh, the Holy Spirit of God. Um, And so that would not be referring to uh, spirits of God. Um, that is the difference. Uh, the Bible repeatedly refers to the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus speaking to him as if he was a person. Um, in, in Psalm, this is where I've been trying to get to, Psalm 139, 
um, where it uh, speaks of the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible is repeatedly clear, and I've gone through many texts uh, that demonstrate that that God is um, everywhere, uh, that he fills the entire heavens and all the earth, uh, that you can't flee from his presence anywhere. And then in Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? This is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Or where should I shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Once again, this is idiomatic language here in verse 10. It doesn't mean that God's hand is literally leading me. God's not holding my hand as he leads me. But it is anthropomorphic language to demonstrate to us that it is God who guides us, and he is the one who uh, holds us and secures us. But here we see here that it is the Spirit of God who once again has an attribute that is only belongs to God, that he is everywhere. And in the fact that he is everywhere uh, allows him to indwell uh, the hearts of his people. Um, it allows uh, the Spirit of God to, to call people to himself um, everywhere, um, over the, all over the earth. Um, for example, one of the verses that you went to in John six sixty three, where it is the spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. So all people that come to Christ and come to believe and trust in him as their savior all over the planet, um, are regenerated by the working of the Holy spirit, uh, which is another demonstration of his omnipresence that he is everywhere. Um, at the same time. So this is another example of the deity of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm back. I had a little emergency I had to take care of. But like I said, it, it's just, at the end of the day, these are conversations to vet out our different points of views and stuff. That's like, as last time, you know, I did a PowerPoint laying out all my stuff for clarity for anyone that would like to, you know, look at the PowerPoint and see exactly how I would teach instead of just speaking on the matters, how I would teach that or how I would lay that out scripturally. So I'm pretty much going to do a prezi on this. I just got back into doing prezies. I ain't did one in a while. So okay. I'm going to do a prezi on this. And, and and present my argument again and i'm just gonna you know reinforce my statements and show forth how i come to these conclusions because i've did researching these areas and i didn't dealt with the bible and i did went through you know subject and title terminology words and um put in the time with it and i just you know i share it with people i know it's something that most people may have never heard any time in their life seeing that people don't deal with the Bible in that systematic way of going here or there and by the mouth of two or three prophets or witnesses establishing facts that you know really who can dis, you know discredit them or whatever because that's the way it is when I said um, an angel it's a holy angel I was doing that by scripture and the scripture to do so is in Matthew, where when Jesus come, he's going to bring his holy angels with him. 
And so, therefore, if he's coming and holy angels going to be with him, there's a such thing as holy angels. Uh, also, going back and putting um, angels are spirits. So, that's uh, Matthew 25 and 31, if I could flip there right quick. So, it's say. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, Carl, I don't deny that angels are spirits. Um, of course, okay. they're spirits. They're spiritual beings, but they are not the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, well, I know. Um, you're, you're making a huge category. You're making a massive category error. Just because they're both spiritual beings does not mean that they're the same. Uh, I have being, for example. I'm a human being, and, and God has being also. But that does not make us the same being. There is a huge difference between the category of created and creator. And I have clearly demonstrated uh, from the beginning that the Holy Spirit fits into the category in Scripture of the creator. He has all the attributes of God. Um, he contains every single one of them. And so, therefore, he is God. Um, that is the conclusion. You keep conflating the categories, and, and there's such massive differences between a created spirit and a spirit who has eternally existed as God and contains all the attributes of God. There's just no comparison. Um, and so uh, I'm about ready to um, end this broadcast. Did you have any final um, final things that you wanted to say? We, uh, no, that's why I was doing it. I see we were going. We was uh, heading to the two-hour mark and everything. Once again, uh, I have stuff worked out on uh, my website, IsraelDoctrineEntertainment.com, uh, in which one could go over there and check out that information. As I stated before, the last three categories deal with um, this subject matter. The Trinity, false of fiction, or whatever, uh, true of fiction. It deals with the uh, Council of Nicaea. I got a little something in there dealing with uh, the understanding where that come from. As I said, I don't like dealing with those type of things, but I put it in there. Um, the eyes, we see that. Um, the nose, the ears, and talking about we have the same, you know, layout as God and things of that nature. So it's all there. As I said, I'm going to do a, a exegesis of this, the text and put it out there and you know, allow people to see it. I don't know if you'll respond back. Hopefully you respond back and deal with, you know, whatever I lay out, I guess certain parts of it or whatever. If it's long, then I understand you not being able to get to it all. But, uh, I mean, I appreciate the dialogue, you coming over and stuff, you know, it get a little heated, but, you know, it's still all in, you know, love and fun and stuff to deal with the scriptures. I love doing it and uh, hearing points of views that I never heard before. I, I always learn from uh, others when I have these uh, discourse. So I appreciate, you know, learning from you uh, a different ass conversation that I really never heard before uh, sit down and dealt with so like i said in the coming days i'll look into it some more and uh work it out some more and see if uh 
you know, if it's any merit in what uh what you presented, what I presented, if it uh changed my heart on any of these things. I'm still up to uh dealing with the book if you are willing to um uh, I'm saying that my way I believe you got my address, right? Uh yeah. Um actually I'm gonna send you the Forgotten Trinity. So I really hope that you read that, Carl. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time today, Carl. Um, uh, my my hope and my prayer is for for anyone who listens to this. Um, uh, my my prayer is for people to come to know the true gospel, um, the gospel of God's grace and salvation, that um, He saves us freely of His own grace and not of anything that we do. In Ephesians two verse eight and nine, it tells us that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So my prayer is is that um, that those who listen to this would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, who has always existed as God. He is the creator of all things. Um, uh, the Father um, has sent him to this earth. He became incarnate. Um, he lived a perfect life, the life that we could not live, um, and he died in our place. And all those who put their faith and trust in Christ will find him to be a perfect Savior. He will save them perfectly. He will persevere you till, till the end, and he will raise you on the last day, as we just read there in John chapter 6. So um, uh, the, all those for whom Christ died, uh, the Holy Spirit will come in time and will regenerate our hearts and will uh, give us a new heart and cause us to walk in his statutes and his ways and um, and will save us. So my prayer is that that is for you, Carl. I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit works in you, and I would pray that uh, you continue to search these things out uh, and continue to look into these things. So thanks, everyone, for joining in and listening to this broadcast, and um, we will see you guys next week, uh, Lord willing. Thank you. Peace.